Well, thank you so much for having me here with your group tonight. I'm really honored to be here. Um, go dogs! I'm really proud of you guys for being University of Georgia students, and I know you love being here. So, um, Madeline asked me to talk about how to make a real faith life. How do we make our faith real? And so I was praying about that and reflecting on what does it mean to have our faith be something that's real to us? And I think, you know, one of the most important things, and you're already a little bit ahead of the curve here, is a, a willingness and a desire to have Jesus be more than just a guy we visit on Sunday, right? Um, kind of separating this idea that our spirituality is something that's sort of reserved for certain times of the week. I think that's how we make a real faith life, is um, we want Jesus to just be a part of everything. And I love that, we that you ladies invoked the Holy Spirit um, in that prayer, because that's the very first thing that we have to do when we want our faith life to be real, is we ask the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real to us. Um, and I never really thought about that, you know, but if we reflect on the fact that as believers, as Catholics, as Christians, we latch ourselves on to something that happened 2,000 years ago, a very long time ago. What is it that makes us believe that, you know? And there are so many people that just sort of don't buy it, you know? To them, it's not necessarily something they're willing to invest in or to believe or to, you know, put themselves in a pew on a Thursday night to come hear more about Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit. So the very first thing we have to remember is it's the Holy Spirit who helps us know that Jesus is real. And so we always are invoking his help. You know, come Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to me, reveal Jesus to me, draw me closer to you. That's the very first thing we do to make a real faith life. Um, and then we have to recognize that we are God's chosen and his beloved. This is such an integral thing for us to learn to accept. And I think, um, I just recently read a book, and I loved it so much, I brought it here to show you guys if, if you feel inclined to get it. I think it was $8 on Amazon. Henry Nowen, are you guys familiar with him? He's an excellent writer. Um, I think he died, more, he's more contemporary and modern. And this, is, this book is called The Life of the Beloved, Spiritual Living in a Secular World. And he wrote this whole book to a very good friend of his who's not a believer, who asked him to write a book um, for people like him who just lived in a secular world that just weren't inclined to believe in Jesus. Like, what is it that, you know, for Henry Now, and he's a priest, what is it about Jesus that makes you want to live your whole life for him? And so um, Father Nowen wrote this whole book. And one of the things about it that was so transformative for me was this idea that we are the chosen and the beloved, that each one of you is. And that's the heart, really, of making your prayer life something, our spiritual life, our faith life, something that is all-encompassing, is that we operate not out of a sense of duty, but out of a true sense of knowing that each one of us is chosen by God, and we each have something very unique. I remember years ago being in the Adoration Chapel, and I was really just struggling. Like, I've never doubted that God existed. I've never doubted his love for me, but, I've, but it was very hard for me to overcome this sort of competitive thing in my mind. I'm just one of many, many people. And it's kind of funny. I love that I'm here to tell this story because this kind of started for me at um, a football game here in Athens, but I was not a student. 
I was actually that student when I was here, I was in the library one day, and I had noticed there were a lot of cars parked around, and then I heard like this sound, a, a sound of a lot of voices and cheering, and I was like, what's going on? And somebody was like, uh, there's a football game going on? And I was like deep in the recesses of the library. So fast forward a few years, and I actually came back and went to a football game. I was married, and my brother and sister-in-law are both, my sister and, they're both my in-laws. Anyway, they're part of the McGill club and they're all into the football scene here. So we were at a game with them and I remember being in the stadium, and this kind of shows how into football I am, just being overwhelmed by how many people there were in that stadium and kind of having this sense of like, who am I? Like, on the one hand, it's awesome that I'm on God's radar because I'm one of so many people and we're aware of that but then when you you see it in a football stadium it's like it's mind-blowing that God would even know that I exist you know much less the numbers of hair on my head the hairs on my head um, but at the same time it kind of struck me as how does this work because I'm this peon and there are so many people and what's it all about and what's the point point? and it's kind of if you get too into it it can be very overwhelming and so around the same time, I was in the Adoration Chapel back in Augusta, and I walked in, and I kind of just had this sense of defeat. And it was so dumb, and I know now it was totally the devil was just messing with me. Um, but I got in there, and I thought, what do I bring? What do I have to offer? I'm not doing anything grand, you know? I'm just like a person doing my thing, and most days not doing it very well. And I remember talking, you know, sharing this with the man who was my spiritual director at the time, and him saying, and this was so transformative for me, and I really want you to understand this. He said, Jesus is doing something in you, in your soul, that he is not, he cannot do in anybody else. And it was such a freeing, relieving concept for me, because what Jesus needs for me is not the good the stuff I'm good at, my abilities, um, even how good I love him. He doesn't need any of that from me. He just, he just wants my soul, and, and I am created to love him, and what, what he is doing within me and with each one, within each one of you is something he can't do within anybody else. And so when we operate out of that knowledge, um, it makes our faith life real. Like we're walking around, and what we're aware of is not how holy we are, or you know that we're really good at getting to daily mass or that we're really nice to people none of those are bad things those are all really good things but that we're operating of something so much deeper than that and it's how we were created to be so i loved that idea and that really stuck with me and then um fast forward recently and i this book comes across my path and it's called The Life of the Beloved by Henry Nowen. And so he's talking all about this idea that each one of us are chosen. Now the thing I didn't like about this idea when he talked about chosen, sorry, I'm not supposed to be moving, um, is that it reminded me of going way back to second and third grade. How many of you ever played kickball on the playground? Yeah, and that was my memory of being chosen was actually being not chosen because I was not the most athletic and I'm really proud my son who's a student here just walked in and I gave birth to five sons and a daughter and the boys are all really great athletes and they did not get that from me. I was the one who was like last or second to last getting chosen. You know, so I hear this word chosen and it's a word that I don't like because it reminds me of being not chosen. You know, or 
being chosen and somebody else being not chosen, right? Like if I pick you, that means I'm not picking any of these other people, right? And in our human terms, we can hear this, this word chosen and it somehow is the broken human version of it, which is, okay, God picked me, picked you, and everybody else is sort of like slightly below, or where do I fit in in the scale of this? So I'm kind of like praying about this, contemplating it, and all of a sudden I really felt like God reminded me of this, this thing I have on my table at home. It's kind of heavy, um, this dough bowl, and we go to the beach every year for vacation, and over the time, we've kind of been just keeping certain ones of the shells that we really love. But I was thinking about it. Um, we have this shell that I think we got this summer, and I love that. And then we have this shell. It's huge and it's beautiful. It looks nothing like the other shell, but it's also awesome. And then we have this thing, which is not really a shell, but it's also awesome. And I think Henry got that, and he loved it, my son. And then look, we have this like, tiny little, probably a tooth of some sort or a jaw, I think we decided, kind of like a shell. It's in here. And this, and it goes on and on. And they're all beautiful and they're all chosen. I picked them because I love them and none of them are alike and they're totally different and they're all beautiful. And they sit on my dining room table even when they're out of season because I love them. And when, it's, it just chokes me up still because it was, when I got this concept, it was like such a relief to me that these shells are like what we are to the Lord. We're just beautiful and we're different and we are chosen and we are his beloved. And what we bring to the table is just who we are. It's not what we do. It's not our achievements. And the whole reason this book came into my path is um, now I have a, a woman who's my spiritual director and I was telling her one day, that I noticed, I had started doing something called the Ignatian um, Examine. So at the end of every day, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he encourages you to just reflect on your day. And when were the times that you felt close to the Lord? And when were the times that you felt away from him? Which is a really excellent habit to get into because you start to pay attention to, you know, how you're making a real faith life. When am I involving God in what I've got going on? And when do I feel apart from him? But I found myself always kind of telling the Lord at the end of every day, I'll do better. Okay, I'll do better. I'm sorry about those times I was separated from you. And it all just felt like this heavy lifting, you know, like I'm doing a lot of work here to be close to God. And, you know, what we have to really settle into is more of this concept of the beautiful shells that we are, our chosenness. Um, and I love this quote from the book that I really, um, I just want to read. I could go, I could talk all about the book. It's so good. Um, but this idea of, of recognizing our chosenness and, and separating it out from anything, from all the good stuff, but all the bad stuff. Because, you know, we all sin and we do things that separate us from God. And it's easy to focus on those when we want to be close to the Lord and you know, the devil loves to remind us of the bad things we've done. And then we think, you know, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. But God doesn't want us to get too hung up on that. And here's just one of the excellent quotes from this book. The truth of our lives is that we were intimately loved long before we were wounded and loved by our parents, friends, and teachers. So the truth of our existence is that we were chosen and beloved by God 
before we were somebody that was not picked for kickball or loved by their mom and dad or rejected in middle school when things got weird or really popular in high school. Before any of that, that's the core of our true existence. We were intimately loved by God before any of the earthly things. But we're so, as humans, it's so easy to focus on, you know, the things in our life that we forget our, we don't know our true existence. We allow our existence to be defined by the people we surround ourselves with and our abilities and, you know, what we're studying. And, you know, for me as a mom and a wife, and I do these things, but that's not my true existence. That's not my true identity. My true identity is that I was chosen long before any of those aspects of me existed. Okay, so we have to operate out of that to make a real faith life. So how do we do it? Um, and I was thinking of, I wanted to say three simple ways that I think you, we can operate out of this truth. One is we have to get in the habit of inviting God in, into our day, like starting the day off in a really simple way. This morning I was thinking of this, I got up early, and I went and worked out, and then I came home, and it was time to, you know, um, I'm, now I'm, all my college guys are back, so the house is really quiet. We're down to just two kids at the house. But it was quiet still, and before all the things started for getting people out the door to school, I went over and I lit a candle in the kitchen. A very simple act. And I kind of just found myself saying, Lord, come into my day today. Be with me. So that's one really simple thing you can do is pick one way that you can make an active decision to welcome the Lord in to your day. Maybe it's lighting a candle. Maybe it's when you first wake up, you know, hi, God, good morning. You know, something simple like that. But like right off the bat that you're saying, hey, Jesus, let's do this. Here we are together because Jesus wants to be a part of every single part of your day, not just if you make it up to adoration you know, not just if you get to daily mass, but he wants to be there for all of it, um, the highs and the lows. So that's one thing is to invite God in. Number two, spend time with him. And this is the heart of all of this. It really is. Finding a way to get in the habit of spending time in quiet. In quiet. Now, I'm a huge believer in contemplation. I was drawn into that about 10 years ago, and it was life-changing for me as somebody who struggled with a lot of anxiety up to that point. Uh, contemplation just kind of turned the little hamster that likes to hang out in a wheel in my head. It like got the hamster to take a nap. It was so nice. So I highly recommend that, getting in the habit of quieting yourself. I'm going to tell you something that none of my other kids know. Elliot doesn't even know this either. But during COVID, I was starting to feel overwhelmed, and the walls were really closing in on me, and I wasn't able to... Um, kind of have time in prayer alone. I felt like everywhere I went, somebody was there, and I couldn't go to adoration. And, and so I was like, Lord, show me how to spend time in prayer. And I um, have a walk-in closet that's not, it's not some elaborate, you know, Kardashian thing. But you walk in, and I looked in it one day, and I said, this is my chapel. And um, cleaned it, you know, got it nice and clean, nice little wooden floor in there, um, got the the shoes vacuumed it, got the shoes nice and organized. My husband, who's an immigration attorney, went to Turkey several years ago and brought back two little prayer rugs. I put one of them in there. I put some images of the Sacred Heart and a cross and a candle. Nobody knows that's in there, except now Elliot does, and he's not going to tell anybody. So I would say during COVID to my kids, 
Um, I'm going to go have a prayer time. They had no idea where I went. It was this, you know, magical, mysterious thing. And I got in the habit of that, and it has, it helped me so much. It brought me so much peace. So, you know, if you could find time, and I know college students are very busy, of even asking Jesus, Lord, I want to make this happen. Can you just show me how to make this happen? And I guarantee if you ask the Lord to show you, he will show you times in your day. And I'm sad to tell you, it will probably involve you having to say no to Instagram for 15 minutes and yes to sitting quietly or, you know, maybe reading the scriptures and then really asking God to show you how much he loves you. It's that simple. It does not have to involve reading fancy books, you know, I mean, saying the rosary is excellent, but really getting in this habit of quieting yourself and asking God to show you your belovedness. Um, so that's the heart of all of this. And then learn to rely on the Lord in all the things you have going on. And I thought this would just be a great way to end the talk is something that um, I came across from Pope Francis gave, actually gave a, um, a mini lesson on discernment at a um, Easter mass and then uh, a website that I love to go to, Alatia, they kind of distilled it. And I thought it would be so excellent for you as college students. And I might even end up giving this to Madeline, making copies if you guys want it, because um, I just love it. So there are eight, he says there are, you know, eight steps to kind of discerning whether, and getting back to this idea of the Ignatian spirituality. Um, he has a book, um, and it's called Discernment of Spirits. And the spirits are not like evil spirits, but it's this idea of discerning when you have things going on throughout your day. Are they things that are drawing you closer to God, or are they things that are drawing you away from God? And you should be in the habit of reflecting on that. And it's, you know, kind of like, did I feel stirred up? Did I feel peaceful? Am I moving in a direction you know, where God is at the center of what I've got going on, or am I feeling pulled in other directions? And here are the eight steps that Pope Francis says. Um, and it says here, there is the, the voice of God who speaks kindly to the conscience, and there is the tempting voice that leads to evil. And how do we learn to recognize the voice of the good shepherd versus the voice of the thief? How do we distinguish the inspiration of God from the suggestion of the evil one? And let's learn to discern these two voices. And here are some things that you ask yourself. Number one, am I still free? The voice of God never forces us. God proposes. He does not impose. The evil voice seduces, assails, and forces. It arouses dazzling illusions, emotions that are tempting but transient. Number two, am I being flattered? At first it flatters and it makes us believe that we are all powerful, but then it leaves us empty inside and it accuses us. You are worth nothing. The voice of God instead corrects us with great patience and it always nourishes hope. And I want to tell you that anytime you find yourself feeling that something is hopeless, that is the devil trying to make you feel hopeless. And you say, go to hell, Satan. That's what my sister was always, tell the devil to go back to hell. You know, you don't need to get in the habit of talking to the devil a lot, but you can surely say, leave me alone. Any, and I want you to write that somewhere because you're at a place in your life where the devil would love to mess with you guys and rob hope from you. You know, the future is too scary. You're not going to make it. Your grades are going to suffer. No, I'm not going to listen to that. Anything that robs you of hope is not from the Lord. Okay, number three, am I looking forward? The voice of God is a voice that has a horizon, whereas the voice of evil leads you to a wall 
and backs you into a corner. So if you're ever thinking about something and you feel trapped, that is not from God. Our God is a God of hope and a God of a, a happy future. There is a horizon. Am I in the present moment? The enemy does not want the present. He distracts us from the present and wants us to focus on fear of the future or sadness of the past. You have to live in the present. And I'm someone with a fabulous imagination, I'll tell you, and I've had to have my spiritual director say, live in reality, Rachel. Don't create scenarios and get upset about stuff that isn't real. We have to live in the present. Um, the enemy does not want the present. It brings the surface to the surface, the bitterness, the memories of wrongs suffered, of those who have hurt us, many bad memories. Instead, the voice of God speaks to the present. Now you can do good. Now you can exercise the creativity of love. Now you can renounce the regrets and remorse that hold your heart captive. The voice of God inspires us. It leads us ahead, but it speaks in the present. It speaks to the now. Ask yourself, is it about my ego? Again, the two voices raise different questions in us. That which comes from God will say, what is good for me? The tempter will insist on another question, what do I feel like doing? And how many of us can relate to that? What do I feel like doing versus what is good for me? That, is, that takes a lot of maturity, and it can be really tough. Um, you know, it's kind of like going through the drive-through. What is good for me versus the supersized waffle fries that I really would like to have? I'm not saying that Chick-fil-A is from the devil. That is not what I'm saying. But really, like, getting in the habit of, of really differentiating between what, you know, what would be good for me versus what just will feel good in this moment. Um, what I feel like the evil voice always revolves around the ego, its impulses, its needs, every, its needs, everything straight away. It is like tantrums of a child, everything and now. The voice of God instead never promises joy at a low price. It invites us to go beyond our ego to find the true good and true peace. And I love that about God and a true faith life with Jesus because it offers freedom. And to me, I have found so much adventure in my relationship with God because he dreams so much bigger than I do. I've never, you know, if I had been limited to my own dreams and the way I thought things should be, I would have missed out on so many things that God has done for me and being willing to kind of be open to that. Okay, what aftertaste does it leave? Let us remember, evil never gives us peace. It causes frenzy first and leaves bitterness later. This is the style of evil. God, our God is a God of peace. Okay, number seven, am I seeking light or am I hiding? The voice of God and that of the tempter finally speak in different environments. I think this is so key. The enemy prefers darkness, falsehood, and gossip. The Lord loves sunlight, truth, and sincere transparency. And I think we can all know and be very honest with ourselves. We know when we're acting in a you know, dark, falsehood, gossipy kind of way versus living freely and living in the light and loving those around us. And finally, am I led to trust? The enemy will say to us, close yourself up in yourself. Besides, no one understands and listens to you. No one, don't trust anyone. Goodness, on the contrary, invites us to open up, to be clear, and trusting in God and in others. But of course, you want to trust people who are worthy of your trust. And then the Holy Father ends with this. Dear brothers and sisters, in this time, so many thoughts and worries lead us to turn inwards into ourselves. Let us pay attention to the voices that reach our hearts. 
Let us ask ourselves where they come from. Let us speak for the great, let us ask for the grace to recognize and follow the voice of the good shepherd who brings us out of all the enclosures of selfishness and leads us to the pastures of true freedom. And I just want to close with one more um, it's kind of a prayer that Pope John Paul, I guess he's um, St. John Paul II now, um, he gave this, um, at, I believe, at a World Youth Day. And it's something that resonates with me, but I think it so perfectly will resonate with you as college students who are really trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, what you want to do with your time, so many hopes and dreams, you know, so much ahead of you, what do you want to invest in? And this is just the heart of this faith life, to remember this. It is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads in your heart your most genuine choices the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. Amen. I just pray, you know, as you reflect on these words and whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants you to get out of this, that God will just continue to draw you closer to him and to give you wisdom and to just point you in the direction that he would have you go. Amen. Thank you for having me tonight.